show is sponsored by HiveMind CRM. It is more than just a CRM. It is a real estate and business mastermind that comes with an all-in-one CRM. You can have unlimited websites and users. You can call, text, RVM, and email all-in-one user interface. And you can set up custom automations for any type and multiple businesses. 65% of companies start using a CRM system within the first five years of business. Once implemented, the HiveMind will save you on marketing, give you more time, and make more money. One of our users had his first $100,000 month using our system in June. We want to see you automate and accelerate your business. Text us at 210-972-1842 for future meetings and of course to get our $1 course on how to make more than six figures on one land deal. You can schedule your free demo today at HiveMindCRM.io. Sent out 10 offers today to different properties around South San Antonio. So hopefully one of them says yes. Hey, 10 offers is better than none. Now you're just tugging on all of my heartstrings, man. Land in San Antonio, my ears perk up. (laughs) My goal is to tug at your wallet, uh, snap. It's a good plan. So we can all split up some money. (laughs) Yeah, there's a guy, I guess he runs another land group. He's like, why would you give anybody your best spots? You, you could just spend like 50 grand and just keep it all for yourself. I'm like, mm, I don't like that strategy. And then he asked me to come speak at, at, at his group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, think about it differently. If everybody eats, then everybody's happy. Yep. You guys got, uh, got no abundance mentality if he's thinking that way. I was talking to a noob earlier and he's like, you know, well, you know, but what if I mention some of the areas I'm working in, you know, are you going to go compete with me there? I'm like, there's plenty of deals everywhere and anywhere you go. I've already mentioned several areas that I'm in. Feel free to mail them. Yeah. When I find a good area, I'm like, you hey, man, I'm like, I need to tell everybody. We need to get a lot of deals here. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I'm in Jacksonville right now. Everybody and their brother over the past two years has moved into this market. I mean, it's crazy, and there's still people finding deals constantly. That's the, that's the beauty of real estate is that when you when you view real estate as opportunity, everything is opportunity. A vacant lot, the house, the office, every storage building, every tire shop, that's all, that's all real estate that can eventually be sold at a discounted price and made monetized. So when you think of it that way, there's so much opportunity. Especially if you think of it in terms of houses, right? They keep on saying that there's a shortage of inventory. And in the land game, we're like, where? Where's the shortage? Because you can go any direction, north, east, southwest, in any major city, and there's infinite parcels. So I'm like, I don't know where the, where the shortage is. The shortage is people that want to sell. Yeah, you're looking to catch someone in a life situation is typically what it comes down to, right? So, yep. You go to a beach, there, there, you know, there's no shortage. And there might be some limits there at the beaches, but there are still people who want to sell. Hey, Matt, uh, do you want to pop up here and kind of introduce yourself and tell us what you've been doing? And, uh, you know, maybe if you could uh, lean on some of the high resources, like as far as like the human capital or whatever, you want to just give your like your your vision of why you came on board and, and where you're headed next. And if, if anybody can uh, kind of support you in that. Sure. No, absolutely. I appreciate that. So uh, my name's Matt Rogers. Uh, I live in uh, California. I live uh, in Los Angeles. And uh, hey, and uh, I've been doing land for about three years now. And uh, rural, vacant, acreage, recreational stuff. Um, and I've uh, done a lot of info lots over the years. Uh, looking to get back more in the info lots, uh, working with builders and, and just, you know, signing contracts over, things like that. Um, and in addition to doing the rural vacant, which I've done for a while. So I have a pretty good knowledge of, um, pretty good knowledge of, uh, you know, how to look up and comp properties and, and kind of look for access and, and, you know, all the tricky things that can trip you up along the way. I'm pretty good at that. I've been doing it for a long time. So if I can help anyone, I'm happy to do it. What markets are you in at? I work a lot in the Southeast and the Midwest. 
so I don't do a lot of deals out here in California. I've done a couple of a couple of deals out, a couple of land deals out here, but uh, for the most part, I'm from uh, Indianapolis originally, born and raised. Uh, even though I've been out in California for almost 20 years now, so. Uh, but a lot of my deals are in the Midwest and the Southeast. Where in the Southeast? Mississippi, North Carolina, some in South Carolina, some Georgia. I've uh, done a couple of deals in Alabama, Florida, um, all over. The infills in Florida seem to be pretty solid. Um, the acreage in uh, Mississippi, North Carolina, some of those areas are, are pretty strong for the recreational tracks. Sweet. Yeah, I kept getting leads in North Carolina, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty interested in that market, man. I got a couple of friends there that kill it in houses, but um, nobody in land yet. So, what does the market look like there? Are you doing infill lots there too in North Carolina? And then Georgia, I know a, a kid who's moving like thousands, ten, fives, tens of thousands of acres in Georgia. So we might connect wow. with him and see what you're up to there. Yeah, um, North Carolina. Um, my partner and I have done. We've done a good amount of deals there. He lives there. He lives up in the mountains in the, the east, uh, or sorry, the western part of the state. So um, we've done stuff anywhere from 10 acres up to, I don't know, 70 or 80. Uh, typically, our mail tends to drop off at around 70 or 80 acres. We don't get a ton of um, ton of interested buyers there. But we're also fishing for lower bottom deals where we're you know, trying to buy at 30, 40 cents in the dollar. Um, one of the strategies that I'm actually looking to employ more of is, is going after some of the higher dollar deals and just assigning them, just being able to dispo them instead of throwing deals in the trash. Anthony, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, instead of throwing deals in the trash where, you know, it might be worth, let's say it's worth a hundred grand and we send them an offer for 40 or 50 and they laugh at us, say no way. You know, even if we we're coming to terms at 75 or 80 to be able to dispo that for 90 to hundred and make 10 or 20 grand, that's nothing to scoff at, but th those just aren't the kind of deals we've been doing. So I, I need to be better at dispoing and taking a smaller cut, just getting a longer due diligence period, uh, market it and, and take a smaller cut, but just move more deals. You know, I feel like we're throwing a lot of deals in the trash. What length of time have you been giving for your due diligence period and you know, dispo time? It depends. I mean, I try to get at least 90 days, if not up to 180 uh, if they push back on 180 or 150, you know, I usually go down to 90. If they push at 90, you know, I typically don't like to do any less than 60 if we're not going to close that on ourselves. Um, 60, I'll still do it to give ourselves a fighting chance in case it's a good deal and, and the neighbor wants it or something like that. But uh, typically, I try to do at least 90 days or longer. I've been doing 60 to 90 days and doing fine the whole time. That's great. The, 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 those lengths of time, the only time I try to get that is if it's a really large parcel. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, I know that it's going to take some time to be able to move or there's going to be a lot of tests. Like if they're putting up a huge multifamily, multifamily or hotel or motel uh, where I know they've got a lot of tests and the due diligence that they have to do for their process. Yeah, no, absolutely. On, on those type of deals. Yeah, they, they, they need to they need to do a lot more homework than maybe just a recreational, you know, 50 or 80 acres out in the middle of nowhere. Absolutely. On your, um, uh, are you assigning these deals or are you like double closing them or what's your exit strategy typically on those? Column A, column B. For the larger parcels, it's usually a double close. I've already got plenty. I've got several, you know, bridge lenders that'll do the two to three day thing. Sure. Uh, you know, in situations and, you know, I've got them down to 2%. Uh, for that period of time, uh, for the amount of money, uh, just to make it worth their while. But it's also usually larger chains. Uh, you know, a lot of the time that's for flagged hotels and stuff like that, where they know they're not, you know, com committing a LOI and coming to the table unless they've already, you know, seriously done their homework and they're actually really ready to close. Right. So stuff yep. like that will double close. Everything well, else, uh, I double it, or, or I assign. Frank, on a deal that kind of complicated or complex in terms of like what they need to make sure they know exactly what they're buying, are you, um, are, are those are those going longer than 90 days or are you able to get those wrapped up inside 90 days? No, those are usually 180 days uh, or more. 
Right. Okay. But the the, yeah, the sellers are also usually well aware of what who it's going to. Totally. So okay. usually, and also that you know it will be staged with a larger EMD that goes hard after certain tests are performed. And, you know, certain certain mile markers are passed. Sure. So absolutely. certain tests, you know, soil tests, uh, stuff like that, make sure that there's nothing harmful there. Uh, you know, then after that, after their uh, you know feasibility you know study is completed and it's positive, you know, everybody agrees it's generally positive, even if they still fall out, the, you know, that, that uh, EMD goes hard at that point. So they're, they're not going to see it back at that sure. point. So that gives the sellers motivation to carry on. Mm-hmm. So on those larger deals where you're selling those types of properties, are you working with any kind of uh, commercial brokers or people in the commercial space? Or are you kind of going out and sourcing these buyers yourself? Uh, in those cases, uh, it's always been with a broker, right. uh, you know, because the brokers have already established. Yeah, they, you know, they've established the relationships with the uh, with the buyers uh, on that scale. My, my, I'm also a licensed agent in the state of Florida, so the first brokerage I was with also had a commercial side, okay. and uh, he he was you know, he's also a certified general appraiser in the state of Florida uh, and a real estate attorney. So you know, the, the guy was a rock star to learn from. And that was his whole focus was hotel and motel. That's awesome. Wow. Good for you. What a good base of knowledge there with that. So I, I'm, I'm happy to help any way I can. Uh, there's a lot I still need to learn too. Um, you know, I just kind of, you know, you know what you know, but would love to learn more. And honestly, um, you know, Dispo, is, is my big issue right now on, we take down a lot of stuff ourselves and, and uh, hotel it, turn around and hand it to an agent that we uh, work with in the area to list it. But um, it's not a scalable model at all. It's, it's a good way to get deals if you wanna close on them uh, because there's great spreads and you don't wanna lose the deal. Happy to do that all day long. But in terms of like a churn and burn type of deal or churn and burn type of um, uh, business model is highly ineffective. And you start bringing in money partners for stuff and then the, the deal gets so diluted, um, you know, you have to do tons and tons of those types of deals with money partners to make anything worthwhile. So I'd rather just keep it, hold on to it, market it, dispo it ourselves, not have to bring money people in, but, uh, you know, be able to offer a little bit more as long as we know we have a buyer in at around retail or maybe just under. Yeah, if you ever want help, uh, you know, here in the southeast, uh, you know, primarily uh, focusing on Florida and Texas, uh, but uh, you know, I've got uh, some deals working in South Carolina and North Carolina also. So I'd be glad to help. You know, just you know, dispo instead of purchasing them, like you said, just you know, sign the contracts. You know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's you, know, the you thing said it. You know, if there's ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar profit there instead of fifty or sixty. But you do, you know, I think we mentioned it in a chat the other day. I think it might have been Monday. Uh, you know, you do 10 or 20 or 30 of those at that price point. That's still great money all, all oh, day long. I'm good with that. But, but, you know, on an assignment where we're not having to come out of pocket and tie up, de- you know, sometimes those things take 60 to 90 days to move in the market. If it's, you know, or, you know, even that 30 days is, is fine. But like, you know, the ability just to be able to just get the deals in and get them out, get them in, get them out, even if it's at a, a slightly lower assignment fee, uh, if needed, you know, um, uh, I'd, I'd welcome that all day. Definitely. Most I, definitely. I don't want to hijack the hijack yeah. chat here. So. Looks, looks like we got a great crowd here, Daniel. Now you guys, you guys are fine. You guys are killing it. It's a great conversation. I'm sure, I'm sure people are learning from it. Definitely. That's the goal. But, uh, you know, what, what was the main focus supposed to be tonight besides us, uh, you know, jamming over here about Southeast and Midwest, uh, deals, uh, going crazy. We got a crowd here. I'm sure someone's got to have a question. So I know, I know we really don't we usually, sometimes we go in a direction. Um, I asked Anthony if we want to go a certain direction said no that, that's time but um it's kind of open to whatever whatever we're here it's kind of um we're, we're here to help if anybody has any questions i know a lot of people don't get the chance to actually speak to people as far as people in their in, their, in the real estate in general because not i think one of the biggest things as far as masterminds is that you get to leverage people that are doing this or you get to leverage people that are doing the things you want to do or are doing the same things you're doing right now 
So like you can't always talk to your family or friends about real estate or wholesaling or anything like that. And it's always sometimes always good to just have a conversation just about real estate in general, about people that understand and you, you want to understand more of what they're going through. So I think it's really one of the powers of the mastermind. So if anybody has any questions, you guys are feel free to raise your hand or go ahead and unmute yourself. It's kind of open room. Definitely come on up. I was talking to a guy earlier today. He's like, this just seems like a dumb question. He said that before every question. I'm like, dude, the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. And in the end, you know, we went through a whole bunch of stuff and we've got some great deals working and he's put out a bunch of money on the marketing and he's got a bunch of stuff under contract. And his whole problem right now is he's just snowed under with deals and he doesn't know how to dispo any of it. So that was a hour long conversation, getting him into a dispo frame of mind, get rid of some of the stuff. And Frank, what were you, uh, what was your advice to that? Stupid thing. Sorry about that. I'm having to use my phone for the audio because my uh, main headset for my uh, desktop uh, died and I forgot to charge it. Uh, but basically it's a lot of Anthony's uh, stuff and, uh, you know, stuff that I'd already, you know, kind of done, uh, you know, ghost ads. Uh, and then there's also a guy in here, Mike, who's starting to put out um, TikTok videos, you know, just showing the property and, oh my God, what a cute little baby. He's quieter than he usually is though. That is a cute baby. It's muted. <laughs> I figured as much. Um, but yeah, if you haven't done ghost ads, oh my God, those things rock. Anthony's the black belt in them. I'm just the green belt on ghost ads, but I'm having some great success already. Uh, and if you've got it under contract, and as long as your contract gives you the right to remarket, then you can go to town with that stuff. Um, I will also, and depending on the market, and I have offered to do it uh, for him, uh, for the stuff that he's got in Florida, uh, because there are market, as long as you've got, uh, you know, consideration uh you know down which you know emd put down on the contract or whatever you can also put stuff up on the mls so, so um i'll do that all day long let's kind of go that direction that's a, that's a good point so um let's kind of go over option contracts i know a lot of people disposition don't know. it is yeah let's go over option contracts so a lot of people don't know what options contracts are what they do how you use them how to use utilize them properly to get the most advantage uh from them so let's, I know, um, Frank, I think we met, it was a couple weeks ago, we mentioned about option contracts. Can you kind of go, go into what, what, what is a option contract as far as in general, what is the uses for it and what are the advantages of it? Sure. Gladly. Um, uh, a set, you know, at the shortest version an option contract, you pay them generally a completely non-refundable fee. Uh, which is kind of the bonus uh, to the seller, but I also generally make sure it's a really small fee uh, for the option to purchase. It's similar to stock options. You're, but essentially the short and sweet of it is you're paying them for the right to purchase whatever the, the asset is. You know, in this case, a parcel of land, uh, but not the obligation. You have zero obligation to actually make the purchase you know, um, but I have the right to, and until that option ends, they can't sell it to anybody else or else they will generally have to pay me, uh, you know, uh, you know, depending on how, you know, retentive you get with your option contract, you, know, you can generally put, you know, some sort of clause in there where if they find someone else who wants to buy it, then they have to buy it from you because you've got the option at whatever price point you deem. And then they could technically take profit above that. So say, for example, I agreed to, you know, they agreed to sell me the option to per, per, for, for 500 bucks to purchase a property at $100,000. And then if they find another buyer, I could say, well, fine, you can, that, you know, you can buy it from me, buy it back uh, and sell it to that other person at $150,000. So no matter what, I'm getting a $50,000 profit off of that. So that would just mean they have to sell it to their person at $175,000 so that they get their original price plus, you know, whatever profit margin. 
So, you know, at that point in time, technically they're selling it for 125,000 if I've written that in. Um, I don't see that used a lot. Um, usually uh, I do options on much smaller, you know, scales. So it's just, you know, I'll agree to purchase it, say for $5,000 or $10,000. And I've got, you know, 90 days on the option or 180 days as Matt was, uh, you know, trying. So can you explain and, the difference between an option and an actual like, um, like wholesale contract that you, what's the, what's the difference in like, what's the advantages of each and what's the difference of each? Sure. Well, a wholesale contract is just, you know, an agreement to purchase. And then technically that's an assignment contract. What, what most people, you know, who call themselves wholesalers, they're not wholesalers because wholesaling is just buying low and selling high. Um, assigners are putting something under contract with absolute zero intention of actually ever closing on the property. Their entire intention, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, it just is what it is. If you want to get technical and get into semantics of the legal wordplay, they just plan to assign the contract to somebody, which is fine. So they'll get it under contract to X and turn around and assign it. That's kind of an option, except they're typically putting little to nothing down and their goal is to be able to get that money back no matter what, if the contract falls apart. Whereas with the option contract, you've not really said, yes, I'm going to buy it. I'm just, I've given the commitment to, you know, to, I've, I've given the option. And generally at that point in time, I just sell the option to purchase. I'm not selling, you know, the, the actual contract. I'm not, or I'm not selling the property at all. I'm just, you know, more officially just selling the contract. And that's what you market as, you know, I'm selling the option to purchase this property. So it, you know, it, it comes in real handy if you're already, you know, a realtor like I am, and, you know, at least in the state of Florida. So it helps me to get around some of the legality or brokers who are buttheads about, oh my God, you can't do that. Wholesaling's illegal. Sorry, you're just not educated broker. Move on. Um, and I've, I mean, I've literally swore at brokers before who were, you know, flipping out over stuff and it's like get a freaking education um but you know it, you know at the some i mean it's still it's they're so close to the same thing you know it's you know it's it's teeny level semantics the difference between so, the two so um I, i've known people to use this on different strategies so but some people do in some instances they will let's say their wholesale contract needs to be at fifty thousand. And the seller is like dead set on 75, right? It's way over your wholesale price that is your maximum allowable offer. But they might use an option contract to like, hey, I'm going to buy this at 50, but maybe I have somebody else that might pay more of your price. And if we can put this on an option contract and they'll make, they'll put it down for like $10 or a dollar, essentially put the property under option contracts and they'll shop it around and see if they can get somebody to pay them more than 75. At that point, there it's almost like wholesaling like you said but you you're now you're clearly saying that you're not the right buyer because you're still at 50 but you're using that option contract to still shop it around at 75 so you can still monetize that situation or monetize that that lead without actually um wholesaling or doing anything um anything anything wrong per se so there's still um there's still a lot, a lot of uh, leverage you can do just by getting an option on the property and without losing that lead and burning that lead to the ground. Hey, Daniel, it's James. Um, I've got a question on that. Do you ever go, go back ahead. to the seller and say, hey, look, I, I've marketed this for 30 days. I've got this in front of 1,500 potential buyers in the area, and I wasn't able to find someone at that price. So my offer still stands at 50,000. And, you know, like use it as a negotiation tactic of like the market's not willing to pay that. And then, you know, I bet more times than not, like they'll, they'll work with you on it. 100%. And that's where it comes down to your, your um, negotiation skills. So if, you, if, if you're still at 50, which you are, then you can, like I said, you can always come back to them. Like, hey, I couldn't find a buyer at 75. Um, I really still want to help you out of your, in your current situation. Is there any way you can help me with numbers getting more around that the 40 to 50 to 40 to 50 range? You anchor them because you want them at 50. So you offer them like that 40 to 50 range. So like, oh, can you do, 
can you do 55? No, I can do 50 and see if they'll work for that. So it's all, it's all about different sales strategies and negotiations. So as long as you're a good negotiator and building that rapport, you can, you can do a lot of different things. And um, it's just having the knowledge and to know what direction you can go when you're talking to that seller. So you have to think on the fly as far as, Hey, there's even, there's even um, situations where um, maybe, maybe we can go to a novation agreement. So like a no, novation agreement is um, trying to think, I'm trying to think of the proper, can anybody go, Matt, can you go over novation agreements or a prank? Yeah, yeah. Can you go over like a basics of innovation agreement? It's another strategy, almost like a, a lease. I'm not a lease option, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, the basics of it are basically that um, you are not closing on the property. If you have a seller that wants more, then maybe you can pay as a wholesaler. Uh, another negotiation could be to do a innovation agreement, which basically says you're partnering with the owner on the rehab of the property. You pay for the rehab. You, you agree upon a price with the seller. Uh, you, you don't close in the property. The property stays in the name of the seller while you do the rehab. And then, you know, they get their number, which is going to be a little more than you could pay as a wholesaler. And uh, then you get the profit after that. If I'm explaining that wrong, somebody please jump in. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, 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 I think that. that's kind of close, but you know, the I, I looked up the description and I posted it here in chat, you know, it transfers the contractual obligations of one party to a third party uh, or replaces a contractual obligation with another one, uh, which is essentially assigning uh, at, at the simplest level. Um, but I've also done what you were just talking about, Matt, uh, where essentially, you know, ag agreed to split the deal, uh, you know, with the seller, they keep it in their name uh, and it almost acts like a seller finance uh, situation. And I do the labor, you know, as you just said, and then we turn around and retail it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So I, sorry, I blinked on that one. But yeah, I know Anthony's done a few of these. Like he, he was doing these, these type of deals just because it was some type of creative like partnership. And he didn't even know what the term was. And he's like, oh, I'm doing this, this, this. And he had the attorney draw off the documents. So I think one of the biggest things about um, all these strategies is that you kind of, uh, you overthink them. Like if you understand the basis of each strategy, as far as if you're partnering with the owner, as far as we getting a lease option, as far as if you're wholesaling it, you got, you got to understand the basics of each thing and how to leverage it properly in any situation. That way you can always ask it while you're right in that situation. Like, hey, if they don't want A, I'm going to go to B. If they don't want B, I'm going to go to C. If they don't want C, I'm going to offer D. And it's all based on the based on their preference. So you're not offering, hey, a whole, I, I need this at that wholesale price at 50000 You're always offering... Um, multiple resolutions for their problems and then they can pick whatever resolution works best for them. It's also why I love the, the hive mind is, you know, if you're in a situation and you, you can't come to terms with the deal and, you know, you might think of two or three things, you know, come in here and bring it up. And, you know, someone's, someone's going to have a suggestion for another angle uh, that you can go to on that stuff. So that's another one of the blessings of the option contract that you brought up is it'll, it, I know it allows me to a little bit more easily say, I don't plan on buying it, but I do have buyers who may very well want this. A lot of people that I've worked with and I'd like to be able to market it to them. And you said, even in you know, the, the, the price difference point, uh, and as you brought up, you know, if you've marketed it for a while, uh, and you can't get somebody at that price point, but say you get a whole lot of interest at say $65,000. So you can't get them at 55. Now you go back, maybe you come up a little bit. Okay, I couldn't get any action here, but I believe I can close, I can close with you at $55,000 because I've got buyers that'll work you know, at, a, you know, at a price a little above that. Obviously I've spent time and money on this to market it. So I still, you know, I'm still an investor. I need to make money uh, and, you know, like to recoup uh, what I've put into it. And you said that a lot of times at that point in time, th they'll work with you uh, because you, you know, you've put it out there I and mean, you can tell them how, you know, just like you said, how many people you've put it in front of uh, and stuff like that. So it does work. So there's other, there's other creative strategies too. So like, 
even even getting the a property subject too. So I saw somebody on uh, Instagram. They got uh, they got uh, they got seller finance uh, terms from the seller with a five year balloon, which means that they're essentially going to deed over the property and the seller's going to be the bank for five years, and then they're going to pay off the seller. So their their plan was is uh, they're giving the they're giving the seller five thousand dollars up front, paying them twelve hundred a month. And this is like a duplex property. They're off. They're paying uh, three, like four hundred thousand. They overpaid for the property, so by holding it five years, it's going to appreciate in value, and then they're going to turn it to like Airbnb. So they're going to cash flow. So the twelve hundred dollars is going to be a drop in the bucket as far as the rents go for a duplex, and then from there, they get to five years of cash flow from that property, and then they get to sell at a higher price, and it's a win-win for everybody involved. So it all comes down to your strategy and how you can leverage um how you how you can find leverage in any situation and knowing the right things to say based on the, the seller's needs and wants most definitely and i like that one i i i didn't think that uh for duplexes or you know try or quads but then turn around and turn it in turn them all into sdrs um i've uh the Mitch Steven book uh, that I've mentioned a few times, or he's got several, uh, but uh, you know, one of them's like a hundred some odd dollars because uh, he's got like all of the, you know, here's how you go to war and this stuff. And it's like all solutions, but uh, he'll, he'll suggest buying it. Even, you know, even if you have to pay a little bit more, uh, put money down, you know, get, get it under, uh, you know, a, a direct seller, you know, contract with them. But in that same breath, um, turn around, and sell it to somebody else with not perfect credit uh, is generally what he's looking for. Oh my God, Anthony, that would be outstanding to get alive uh, with, with Mitch Steven. My God, I would bow to you at that point in time. Uh, not that I won't bow to you already, but that would just be sweet. But um, you know, one, one of his, uh, you know, that he's done time and time again, he'll get it under contract and he'll still not even use his own money. Uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, he's paying the seller or he gets investors at five years uh, and pays them whatever interest rate for five years. Uh, but he turns around and sells it for 10 to 20% more than what it's worth at the, you know, at, at that point in time. And because the people have less than perfect credit, but they still have a great job history and stuff like that, they're stable and can prove that they're stable. He, he turns around and sells it to them on seller carry and gets a decent down payment out of them and you know takes payments from them for that period of time and that's how he recoups you know potentially buying it over what he should have bought it at uh or even just you know you know to get more because of the fact that they've got less than perfect credit he's taking that chance on them with that note and he said more often than not the the notes don't even carry full term they get their, they get their credit fixed and three to five years in or more, they turn around and refinance at that point in time with a traditional lender at a better interest rate, and uh, which is the other way. He's killing it also because he's doing it for 10 to 20% more, plus he's getting above average interest rates uh, typically uh, for that stuff. And you know, you know, Texas is his hunting ground. So uh, you know, that's another one of those methods. And hey, Rhonda. Hello. <laughs> I'm all late. Daniel's so, just out there walking around and smiling. <laughs> I'm uh I'm enjoying the uh, California sun. So my kids are playing in the backyard on the California. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought um, you were from Texas. Everybody thinks that, but no. <laughs> No, and like I said, there's there's always a solution to a motivated seller. Always a solution. So it's just finding the right solution to solve their needs and wants, and you can make a deal happen. So overpaying for a property is not unheard of, or as long as it makes sense, um, it, it, it can work out in your favor. So it's just being open and honest and trying to figure out the best resolution to their issue as far as their needs and wants. And that can create a win-win situation for everybody involved. So we kind of went off on a little tangent right there. Maybe we'll cover a little bit more in depth with that 
Um, maybe I'll do a numbers call again. I know a lot of some some people have reached out and said they enjoyed that call I did a couple maybe a month or two ago. But um, anybody have any questions about anything? It's kind of open room. We're talking a lot of a lot about different things. Yes, I've heard my voice way too much. <laughs> Sorry. I've got a question if no one else does. Go ahead. Awesome. So kind of like soup to nuts, um, you know, for anyone that's done like large ranches. So, you know, let's say like 500 acres to, you know, 10,000, you know, 20,000 acre ranches. Like what have they, what have they done in terms of like marketing, um, you know, contract really like finding a, and arranging a buyer. Um, I've got questions around, like, let's say it was a 10,000 acre ranch and I wanted a hundred acres of that ranch you know, like how you could kind of work that into a transaction, um, you know, kind of sub subdivide as a wholesaler as I, as I think about it in my head. Um, and yeah, just kind of curious if anyone's kind of gone after like those, those big, big whales, right. Um, and what that process looks like. So I think this is an Anthony question if he's here. Yeah, man. Personally, I have not done one that big. I think the, so far the biggest ones we've been looking at is the 2000 and the 1600. Um, we will but, this year. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, we already pulled the list, so we're ready. Um, I think Junior Lee in uh, Georgia is uh, looking at those larger type of wrenches. Man, he's not on here right now, but yeah, we could uh, get with him. Get with him on a call. He he messaged me the other day that he wanted to get on a call with me. So I don't know what he's up to, but yeah, we can get on the phone with him and see what he's doing and how he's looking to to dispo those and all those. But I got an idea for Texas. I just don't know other states yet. Awesome, man. Let's set it up. Definitely yeah. sounds like something I'd like to learn about. Yeah, I'm just I, I trying think, to think I, what a what a ranch owner like how he likes to be marketed to. Does he like to get something in the mail, or <laughs> does he want to talk to someone with the southern draw if he's in Texas? You know, like what what is it? I would probably market to them any way you could. Uh, I think I think they're sellers just like everybody else, so they just add more zeros. I think all, all, all real estate's the same. You just got to add more zeros depending on the property. So everything's up, for, everything's up for negotiations. Um, but I, th I think with those, it's just knowing, I think Anthony, like I said, he has a, a, uh, somebody he's worked with so far that does in that large ranch, um, large ranches. So it's just talking to the right persons who's in that, who's in that sector. Yeah, I have a friend. He doesn't do off-market properties, but he does uh, on-market stuff, and they'll list like seventeen thousand acres and you know stuff like that. Properties that are worth two to three hundred million. So I'm, you know, I have never worked in that space, but I, I know people who are working in that space. So yeah, I'm super curious. I'm gonna stick around with it. I'm just gonna keep looking at it and kicking it until something shakes loose. But I would imagine, yeah, you grab somebody that has two thousand acres, you sell off maybe eighteen hundred get a survey done at least a survey done so that can be recorded when you close on your portion that you want to keep like one to 200 acres um, and more and then just make sure that that gets recorded at the time of closing and with the with the replatting process and everything so i'm sure you would have to drag it out for a really long time it might be like a six month close or something by the time you do everything that you have to do before closing um, but yeah i'm looking for those opportunities all day i'll invest the six months for that well you know that question was for you anthony we gotta we gotta find somewhere to put your wagyu wagyu beef <laughs> yeah everybody's trying to hold rentals and i'm trying to hold like a thousand head of cattle like where can i house these guys so yeah we need to we need to close up on some of these big ranches so we're gonna start working in that space i don't know anything about it won't pretend like i do but uh, if you're not looking at it at least shopping in there like you said it's just another type of seller i've heard of sellers that have been in that space their whole life and they're looking to exit so they would rather get a secured monthly payment without them having to you know pull any corn or wheat or cows or anything else and just sit at home now and relax, retire, and just collect that same amount of money that they were collecting when they were in business. So, yeah, I think anybody that's not looking at those giant ranches, if you're in land business, like, shoot, why not? Why not? I think the biggest thing is just sound confident. A lot of times, uh, if you're reaching out to them, you know, uh, be, be confident, to, you know, know what you're talking about. You know, if, if you're studying something that you've not sold before, study the term, study the, or the terminology that's common uh, to that industry, uh, you know, try and find someone who does have experience with it and 
you know, find out the most common questions, just like, you know, for me getting into investment funds, you know, the, the trick is to sound confident, uh, you know, sound like I have a clue, you know, up to this point, all I've done is uh, syndications and now I'm starting to do funds also. So it's a study, and, you know, it's not all that different from a syndication, but, you know, it's the same thing as this, you know, you're just going from, you know, a small, you know, parcel up to a much larger one. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Frank, and I'm, I'll go ahead and add to that. So when I was driving that uh, 1600 acre wrench, uh, we went with the buyer, the buyer was ready to write a check, you know, for over four mil, and he's in the front seat talking. And he's talking to the ranch hand. So we didn't meet the guy that actually owns the property. He has a gentleman that lives on property that takes care of everything. I follow a similar model whenever I inherit large parcels of land. They have a tenant on them. I keep the tenant. Um, so that's who he sent us out with. He sent us out with his ranch hand. And he's an older gentleman. And he was just explaining to us everything about the property, everything that it has on it, you know, all the benefits, the drawbacks, things to look out for. And he was very informative. But I noticed that when we were talking to this gentleman, and um, to the uh, to the buyer that they were using all these terminology and acronyms that I had never heard before. <laughs> so it was almost like they were speaking a different language, which was interesting because I had never been there for that or participated in it. So I think doing a little bit more homework, learning about uh, water on property, how it's drawn onto the property, the type of tanks that it's stored in, um, the type of delivery service, you know, like, you know, they, they use the term jetting. So I guess that means pressurizing the water system from a tank and then sending it over to a different part. Um, they were trenching, they were laying water lines. I mean, it's pretty intricate. It's, it's a pretty massive development. If you think about it, like we've been doing parcels, just flipping like farm and ranch. It doesn't need any kind of development at all. And these guys, yeah, they, I mean, you have to have pretty extreme knowledge of the uh, situation. How are you going to bring electricity and water, the roads, you know, where's all that material coming from, how to access property, where the cattle are going to get water from. I mean, it's a pretty complex operation. So I thought it was cool to just be there and talk about it and participate in it. But if you don't get yourself in those type of situations, seller situations, then you're never going to experience that. So I just want to dive deep into it. You know, even if I don't close a deal for the next month or two, but I'm walking these big giant ranches, like I'm just, I'll be just happy to be working in that space and talking about it and looking at those types of deals. That's what I'm interested in right now. I'm going to take a break from everything else for a minute. So I learned, I learned this game completely. And that's, that's honestly the hack to everything. So anybody that's worked at a job or worked at any specific niche, lawyer, attorney, like it, they all have their certain language and terms that you have to learn so that's one of the beauties of like i said the, the mastermind is you get to learn terminology just by listening and, and conversing so like what what i've learned is every specific niche even if you work at a regular job they all have their different language and terminologies when i worked at trucking those terms that you would use just that or trucking trucking terms based off of trucking and trucking equipment there's real estate terms there's land terms house terms multifamily terms, storage terms, like there's cap, like commercial terms when you're dealing with commercial properties as far as cap rate, NOI, T12s, like there's so many terms that go into the basis of real estate or in any, any niche in general that what you, whatever you want to do and focus on, you have to learn that language because if you're not catching all the terminology and language, people that do that business every day can see right through you. So it's act, you have to be actively learning and listening to what the language and terminology and doing research on what those terms mean. Like it's huge and it gives you a leg up because once you learn the language, you can leverage that to negotiate hundred percent. So, yep. and even if you're working a nine to five, if you learn the bosses, if you learn, I learned this back when I was working the docs, they had the computer system that we all ran on, on the docs. And if you if you knew the language of the backend system, you'd automatically get a, you can get a raise, become a manager, you can become whatever you wanted high up in the company just because you knew the language of, of the business that it runs on. So it's a huge hack if you study that in your free time and learn that learn that space, no matter what you're trying to do, learn that extra language to get to the to the next level. So it's just practicing and talking to people and conversing and listening and podcasts and whatever, whatever it takes, but you'll pick up on the language and terminology is really quick. Definitely good ones to know also in real estate. If, uh, if instead of purchasing something, you just decide to get a master lease, 
uh, you know, the master leases, you know, the, the master lease over a whole property, say it's a commercial property. Uh, you know, at that point in time, you can sublet out any of the smaller properties in there. Um, and that works also with land. Uh, if anybody here has ever visited downtown Gatlinburg, there are two families that own two, uh, that own all of downtown Gatlinburg, every bit of land. You know, they don't every business own every business down there. And there are some businesses that have built like Ripley's Aquarium. They have a 99 year lease. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a family that owns all of that land around there. Then Ripley's, you know, pick up a bunch of other property and they turn around and release that stuff out. Uh, so there's also triple net leases where essentially the, the tenant, you know, pays everything, uh, you know, taxes, insurance, uh, maintenance, all of that stuff, as opposed to a landlord that's typically responsible for that stuff. So that's another, you know, another way to cash flow significantly and you essentially give the tenant all the responsibility of ownership and you just make your money uh in the process so you'll generally pay a lot less you know for your main lease uh to whoever the owner is or you might receive less uh, from your tenants if they're paying triple net but you also have zero costs at that point in time now, you'd still probably want to keep your own insurance on the property just to be safe but beyond that the tenant is paying all of the all of the costs for you so it, it fits in you know 100 with what daniel was just saying and just to go back to my it days because i was such an it geek and i knew all the back-end workings of servers because i'd started out with isps and hosts and stuff like that uh, as i got into just the sysadmin side of things as i was calling different data centers I would quickly get shuffled up to the tech, you know, level two, level three, level four techs and all of the high-end guys because I knew what I was talking about and they generally didn't like me walking their level two techs through how to do stuff uh, or how to log into the routers and reconfigure stuff. So they handed me off to people that knew enough not to completely listen to me, but trust that I knew what I was talking about. Um, and Xfinity to this day does the same thing. Uh, well, they don't recognize me. A new phone number, but um, because I called and walked a tech through fixing a router because they wouldn't provision my modem correctly. So, and it's silly ego crap like that, but that wasn't the intention of it. But, you know, it fits with, you know, also what Daniel said. When, you know, just if you're comfortable with the subject matter, you know, it, it makes you that much more believable as a buyer. And it also makes you that much more believable as a seller. You know, if you're sitting there and you're talking about something and you know nothing about it, as they ask questions, a you look like a fool, uh, or and I've managed to achieve doing that also, uh, and and you know, th that makes them want to move on to the next person, you know, whether it's the next seller or the next buyer, you know, whichever position you're in. So you you, you learn you learn by looking like a fool sometimes. <laughs> I've looked like a fool a couple times, and and it's not a bad thing; it's just a learning experience. So. Don't don't ever don't ever if you ever get caught looking like a fool, it's okay. It's happened to the best of us. <laughs> Thirteen minutes. Who has a question? Can you all hear me? Oh, apologies about. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. I just just a quick question. If anyone's worked with holding trust yet? With what? Holding trusts as a way to hold title and manage the transaction? You have? Go ahead. That's you. Um, I was just curious if anyone has worked with them. It's, um, mm -hmm. I spoke with a gentleman who bought his first home in 69 as a seller carryback. Um, and he's started building holding. He's been working with trust for a long time. And so it's an area I'm kind of considering uh, learning how to do because their volume has just gone through the roof since investors have started realizing the value of, of real estate investment trusts and holding trusts. So I'm reaching out believe, to find out. Go ahead, Daniel. Uh, I believe uh, John Alexander has a book about trust, how to form it, how to use it properly. And um, do you know what book that is, Frank, by chance? I've heard of him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know, I know it's the yellow one and trust, uh, you know, is in the name, but go to johnalexander.com or you can go to uh, Amazon and I know they've got them all there also. 
yeah. you know, it, it beyond that, just, you know, you, you would need, you know, be sp state specific as to, you know, what type of trusts work in the state that the property is in. Uh, you know, Florida is, you know, extremely trust friendly with land trusts. So anything I purchase, you know, if I put a contract on a property in Florida and I plan on using a trust, uh, you know, my purchase name is going to be, you know, whatever the street number of the house is, like 1245 street name, you know, land trust. So one, two, you know, 1245 main street land trust or just main. I don't usually say street ab or any of that. Uh, and then, you know, whoever the trustee is. So yeah, they're the greatest invention. Okay, Since we'll study White, up on that. I think they're better than sliced bread. I'll study up and become more of an expert and, and share with the hive after I've got more info. Thanks guys. Yeah, I know uh, DeAndre does a lot of trust and um, you can probably reach out to the land mogul group as well. Cause I know, I know DeAndre, yeah. every, every transaction he does, he doesn't have trust. Yeah. If you were to join the, the master, John, John Alexander's mastermind, he's actually got a trust generator uh, as one of the benefits uh, for all of the uh, members. And uh, you, know, you fill in a few of the blanks and, you know, hit submit and it spits out the entire trust. And, you know, at that point in time, you know, you're done. There's a piece that you can file that basically, you know, when, when you file the deed, it's in the name of the trust. But, you know, the rest of the lawyer holds uh, or, uh, you know, safety deposit box or something. So to protect yourself. Perfect. Thank, thanks, Frank. Uh, I think we had one more question. After today's call is ladies' call. So any of the women here want to stay on with all the ladies, you guys are free to stay on for that call. I think there's one more question that I was talking around when Esther jumped in. Yvonne was the one that spoke up. Yvonne, Yvonne. Sorry, I'm at the gym if it's loud. Um, I guess, hi, everyone. My question is, I guess uh, not as good as hers. <laughs> it's more of a rookie question, but I guess like I stumble upon these parcels and there's one that I feel like has a lot of potential, but I can't seem to find the person. So I've looked and I'm, I'm kind of trying to dig for her for information or somebody that knows her, but I can't seem to find anyone. So I guess my question is, is how much time do you spend on things like that? And is there other avenues of trying to locate the owner I mean, I looked at the CAD and everything like that and try to go from family member to family member, like things of that nature. But how much time do you spend on these? Should I just it move on or? It depends on the property. It depends on the property itself and is it worth chasing. Um, there's a lot of opportunity in deals like that if you can't find the owner, because it could be some type of probate deal or somebody's dead and don't know they have heirs and it's just sitting there. So. Um, there's definitely a lot of opportunity there. It's just figuring out what the, what the situation is. So um, if you want, you can reach out to me. I'll, I'll help you figure out what the situation is. And we can at least try and find the right person or a person associated with that person to see what's going on. But um, it really it really depends on the property. So the, the property type is really depends on how far I'm going to dig it deep into it or not. So if you can't find the person, if, if you can't find the person, there's a good chance nobody else can. So if you do a little extra homework, you might make a good deal out of it. And that's just okay, thank you, Daniel. You know, just a, just a quick tip. Uh, you know, search. You know, Google that person's name. Like, do do the best you can to figure out what city the person lived in at some point in time, and Google their name with the word obituary, and see if you can find an obituary for that person. And if you found a couple of the relatives, and you find an obituary that might be that person. And you start looking at surviving relatives and you see that person, you know, see some of the names that you've come across in that process. Boom. And James Clintz just put the uh, name of the uh, trust book uh, in the chat uh, for um, Esther. Esther. Yep. So, Yvonne, hey, DeAndre, you're what, late. <laughs> what Frank just said is what I do first. If I can't find somebody and for whatever reason, I literally check obituaries and literally nine times out of 10, they're usually dead not trying to be disheartened or anything like that but if you can't find them they're they've left the country or they're dead and they're just and it's there's a definitely opportunity in that situation because if they're dead and the property's still in their name that means the heirs don't even know they own property or own any 
subject to property and if they left the country for whatever reason they don't care about the property so they're probably willing to sell it so if, if for any instance you can't find somebody dig a little deeper there might be some gold in there for sure okay i definitely will i appreciate that and i'll, I'll message you about it then all right any final questions and then we're gonna hand it over to the ladies DeAndre hopped on and we were just talking about him two minutes ago. Do you want, want him to talk a little bit about trust or no? Yeah, yeah yes, any, please. Uh, quick trust more. experience, DeAndre. Hello, good evening. Uh, you said like talk about trust. Yeah, give, give us well, your, give like, us like, your it, best it, knowledge of trust in five minutes. As far as like um, finding people who um, like the properties under a trust or like setting up trust? What kind of way to talk about it? Setting up setting and up holding uh, is what Esther uh, Powers brought up, uh, holding properties under a trust and such. Okay. Uh, she's new to that and wants to wants to look into that. Yeah, so I, Daniel said make it five minutes. It's so tough uh, making it five minutes. But uh, but yeah, so basically um, if she wants to hold title to a trust, um, number one, she has to make sure she has a trustee um, and it depends on the type of trust that she wants to take title. Uh, we got land trust, living trust, um, grantor revocable trust, irrevocable trust is like different type of trust. So you have to figure out what, what what's the purpose, right? Do you want to make changes to it while you're still alive? Or do you want to um, keep it one way and then, you know, when you pass away, it stays like, it really depends on um, what you really want to do. I'm not a, like a, a real estate attorney. Um, so I advise getting with attorney, of course. Um, but I know some of the basics and things of that nature. Um, but the whole point of a trust is anonymity, um, basically avoiding probate. Um, I use it for an anonymity. Um, and some people use it to avoid probate and things of that nature. Um, what else can I add about trust? Uh, make sure, I mean, make sure your trustee uh, is someone that you trust because they're gonna be signing all of the paperwork for you. They're gonna be signing all your documents. They're basically your authorized signature um and also the reason why you have to make sure that person is trustworthy um is because they they basically hold no liability whatsoever so they can literally like if you take title to a property in a trust they can rent your property they can they can take like if you have rental income they can take that rental income right um they can refinance the property right they can sell the property they can borrow against it they can do what they want if you take title to a property in a trust and you have a, you know, a trustee that's not, you know, so just know that the trustee has a lot of power and they hold no liability. So whatever they do, it's going to be on you, which is you are the beneficiary of the trust. So no matter what they do, all their actions are going to fall on you. So make sure you get someone trustworthy or make sure you have the appropriate documents that can fire a trustee. Uh, Cause I have documents where I can just fire them. So I don't have to, you know, I can basically fire them without their consent. Right. Um, but it's just, I'm talking about a land trust that, you know, the other type of trusts are different. Um, what else do I want to add? Uh, uh, do you, use, yeah. do you use family members as your trustee? Well, I mean, when it comes to it, it depends. Like, um, we generally don't like to use anyone that can lead back to us, like last name, same last names, or you know, very close. It's generally someone that you trust that doesn't have the same last name as you, um, and someone that doesn't have too close of the ties to your family. Like, I shouldn't be able to, you know. Like if Daniel uses Anthony as his trustee, I can find those guys, right? A couple of Facebook searches, I can find those guys. But if, you know, Anthony uses some guy named Joe Schmo, then I won't be able to know who Anthony is, right? Um, so pick someone trustworthy, but someone that can't easily just lead back to you as your trustee. Um, and if you are gonna set up a trust and take title to a property in a trust, um, when your trust, cause your trustee is gonna have to sign all the closing docs, so when 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 the per when your trustee signs the contracts, when your trustee signs all the closing documents, the deed, the paperwork, um, after their name, it it is important and it is vital that you have comma trustee after the name, right? Because if you don't put comma trustee, then they're gonna assume that your trustee is taking title to the property uh, as an individual, um, and they can attach liens or do what they want. So. Uh, when you're looking at those documents, it should say John Doe comma trustee or John Doe comma trustee of the one, two, three Main Street Trust. Um, and I will not 
get the, I will not sign those documents unless they are correct. Because some documents and some of these deeds, they, they, they're totally wrong. Like sometimes they put, you know, signing as trustee and individually, like that is wrong. Your trustee is not signing as an individual, is signing as trustee only. Um, and the reason that verbiage is so important, because like I said, they can attach liens. Um, they can, people can like, you know, if something happens, they can try to go directly after the trustee. But if you clearly put trustee after their name, um, then that basically removes them from liability. Then they will have to go after the trust and then get to the uh, beneficiary, basically. So hope I didn't confuse anybody. I know that was kind of fast, but uh, sorry. No, appreciate it. Appreciate it, DeAndre. Um, I, I appreciate it. coming in. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit deeper on another call. But I appreciate the, the five-minute workup on trust. <laughs> Great job. Yeah, I think I, um, I think a call just all about trust with John and DeAndre. Yeah, that was great. That was great. All right. So uh, we're going to transfer the call to the women. Uh, it's a women's call later. So we appreciate y'all coming out. The show is sponsored by The List Guys. Do you need more leads in your local or virtual market? One in 10 small businesses don't invest in any kind of marketing. The List Guys have over 35 plus list types to choose from and you can mix and match any list or criteria. We also use the skip trace list and provide up to seven numbers and email addresses. Every list you purchase will be scrubbed against previous purchases. The List Guys are here to save you time. Contact The List Guys today at www.1listguys.com. That's www.the number one listguys.com.